On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group talks to Philadelphia radio icon John DeBella. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair, and on this special episode of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends, Paul Zotter and Ken Gregory, as we talk to Philadelphia radio icon, John DeBella. All right, so gentlemen, Welcome to the Palaver. Today, as mentioned in the introduction, we are very honored and pleased to have with us Philadelphia radio icon, John DeBella, who is, uh, he's been a fixture in Philly radio for as long as I've been alive, appearing on several prominent radio stations in the market, as well as currently, I guess, known for his community work in terms of the annual dog walk and the MGK turkey drop. So John, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, well, you're you're very welcome. If I might, uh, there's one more in there. Okay, I, you know, I'm only bringing it up because it's going to be here in a month. Awesome is uh, is the Veterans Radiothon. Wonderful. So, yes. Okay. Yeah, great. Yeah. So, yeah, so we're we're real proud of that, and it's going to be a big year for us this year with that. So outstanding. A lot of great, awesome. a lot of great things great. in the auction. So there you go. Cool. So 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 John, we had you on. Uh, we asked you to be on the palaver here today because it was brought to our attention by one of our listeners that um, you know you you know you are a well documented uh, Peter Gabriel fan to the point of mm-hmm. in the uh, in the morning zoo days back when we were growing up, um, I believe that Peter was dubbed the patron saint of the morning zoo. So. Yeah, I, I, there's a story behind that. I was hoping that there was. <laughs> Would you care to share? Uh, I worked when when I when I was in New York and I'm working on Long Island. I worked with a guy named Ray White, who uh, unfortunately he's one of my best friends on the planet, and he passed away just a few weeks ago. Uh, he was a huge Peter Gabriel fan, a Genesis fan, but a huge Peter Gabriel fan. And I was doing mornings, he was doing afternoons, and I would refer to Peter as the patron saint of afternoon disc jockeys. Okay. That's how it started. And then I came to Philadelphia, and I wasn't really willing to give it up. (laughs) So (laughs) I made him the patron saint of the morning zoo, which was the show I was doing at that time. And he has been the patron saint of whatever day part I have been in since then. <laughs> right? So right now, so now he's the you know patron saint of morning radio, as far as we're concerned on MGK. Outstanding. So so nice. your your fondness for Peter Gabriel and his music continues to this day. So, oh yeah. So how beyond did, a shadow of a doubt. So how how did you get into Peter Gabriel and and you know was there something specific about Peter Gabriel? Was it something specific about his music? Were you there from the beginning? Can you kind of talk uh, us through that? Well, well, I, if if Ray was here, he would tell you one of the, the the funniest things about me musically when I first got into radio is there was a four or five year hole in my music knowledge. Right? Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I look. Uh, I, 
I have, and if you know, if it wasn't because it would be so cumbersome for me to go get it on a shelf not far from here, is the first radio I've ever owned. Oh, wow! And mm-hmm. and uh, yes, it's an Emerson Travel Light made of Bakelite plastic. Nice. One of those one of those transistor radios that you know sits on an angle with the handle, or you could use the handle as a carry along. Right. Yeah. With one ear plug <laughs> came with that as well. Uh, and uh, the earliest piece of music I remember, other than the music that was being played in my house, right, which was a lot of standards, a lot of big band, a lot of that stuff, right. But the earliest song, pop song that I remember is Lloyd Price personality, right. And so from from Lloyd Price through easily early seventies, seventy two, seventy four, right. I was deeply embedded in music, and then the world got in its way. I was uh, I was a theater major. I, I, I have a degree in scenic lighting and costume design. Uh, <laughs> of course wow. you do. I'm a, I'm a man who can sew. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so uh, and and that that kind of took over my life for a few years, and in that time, music kind of became secondary. And then you know I got out of that and wanted to get back into music and wanted to get into radio. And uh, so there was this hole for about four years of music that I did not know. And in that time, a lot of Genesis stuff was happening. Okay. Right. So I came to Genesis late, and uh, and you know, and my friend Ray, the same guy I was telling you about, right, is the guy who really got me into not Genesis as much as Peter Gabriel, because by the time Ray and I uh, met up. Um, well, Peter was still in, in Genesis, but let's just say the first album was coming out and Ray was just deep into it. And I was like, you know, what is this? And I learned about Peter through Ray. And then, you know, and I, I, I saw Peter in a club. Uh, I saw Peter. At, oh, my. Uh, where? Oh, uh, uh, it was out there. I, I think it was probably the bottom line. Right. Um, uh, yeah, I, I can even top that one. I saw Led Zeppelin in a bar. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. Now you understand that T-shirt I was talking yeah, about. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So uh, so it was Ray who turned me on to him. And that's that's how I found him. And I, I found him with the first Peter Gabriel album. Right. So trying to figure out uh, who the hell is Moribund the Burgermeister. <laughs> It's and, a fair question, right, you know. And why is he creeping through the windows? You know. So, uh, uh, but that's that's where it started. And then, and, and Ray, who was the best interviewer I have ever known, uh, I judge every interview I do by would Ray have done? You know, what would Ray have done in this case? You know, God, Ray would have done this so much better than me. Uh, but uh, but through Ray, I met Peter for the first time. And then the three of us really became really fast friends, and uh, and have been you know very tight for a very long time. Although uh, my contact with Peter now really is more along the lines of if he's in the states, I see him, mm-hmm. right? And uh, because trying to get a hold of him when he's in England is just it's a waste of time. Oh really? <laughs> <laughs> it is, you know. So, so, so you you literally have been along with Peter from the beginning, then, but from the solo beginning, from the solo beginning, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, yeah. and and so as as we went through that catalog, right? It was it's it's a very interesting 
sort of musical journey through the first part of that catalog. And, and we've, I, I've made the argument that, you know, the first two records were Peter sort of trying to figure out who he was as a mm -hmm. solo artist. There was a lot of experimentation looking into the corners type thing. And then by the third record, um, the Melt with Games, yeah, exactly. You know, he started, it, it started to sort of crystallize, ultimately manifesting itself, you know, in, in so. So when you, when you got into this, obviously, you know, the first record resonated with you. What was your journey like discovering the, the, the records as they sort of came out in real time? Did it make sense? Were you tracking? Were you like, what's Peter thinking here? You know, do you have any? I, 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 I can be very superficial when it comes to music. Um, we can appreciate that. <laughs> I, I, I kind of just sort of, I, I prefer to take it in as a listener as somebody who would listen to my show would take it in okay. right where uh, where it's like to this day i'll be i'll be in the studio and playing a record and i'll throw my headphones on because the song's coming to an end and i'll turn to one of the guys and go he said what <laughs> you know, for a song that i you know for a song that i've played like a thousand times and you know and you just hear this stuff over and over again it wasn't until really maybe five or six years ago that I began to realize how incredible a bass player Paul McCartney was. Mm. Right? I mean, he is brilliant. When If you spend the time and sit through Beatles records and just pay attention to the bass work, it's, it's just amazing what the guy you know did. I was so busy learning about what was going on with these bands, learning about the songs, promoting these songs. Remember, I come from a radio world where i picked the records right no one told me what to play so it was very important to listen to the songs what do i think my audience is going to like and uh you know and you know get into that so i didn't really i just looked at each album as okay here's the next one here's the next one yes i could see the development from the first one to so right you know and and, and especially you know <laughs> that's what it, it has no name some people i know call it melt but right. i just call it yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Communicates it perfectly. <laughs> right, you know, yes, uh, I have it autographed around here somewhere. Of course you do. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, so, so you were but, really, you were really coming at this from the perspective of a DJ. The new Peter Gabriel album comes out, and you're like, "What are my listeners going to want to listen to?" Right. That's right. that's a phenomenal mm -hmm. perspective. Right. Which 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 made it interesting when so came out. And I'll tell you that story when we get to those so questions. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, if you guys want to jump in, please do, but I'm I'm kind of following this thread at this moment. Well, yeah, some 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 foundation. So 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 uh Thank you, John, for these years of service. Uh, and, and one of our listeners, and thank uh, you for Dennis, paying my mortgage. Uh, <laughs> well, I mean, and, and through, indirectly through your advertisers, you, you had uh, fans of Generation X throughout uh, the entire region. And, 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 and not only did the Philadelphia Signal cover the Philadelphia suburbs where we grew up and went to high school, but you had all of South Jersey, Delaware. You, you had a very powerful antenna from which to mm -hmm. throw your voice. Right. Um, and, you know, did you ever realize the impact that you would have? You know, we don't have oral traditions in music where we sit on the porch with our grandfathers and play banjo, but you are the new oral tradition. You have imparted this music on us. When, when did you realize the reach and, and the influence that was going on there? Um, we did. We were planning a week of shows 
uh, at a place called, uh, and remember the Bortz building uh, mm-hmm. on uh, okay. like, like Fifth and Market? Yes. Okay. Still- uh, there was there was a uh, restaurant downstairs that was trying to be uh, a hard rock, right? And it was the uh, something rock cafe. I forget, I forget what it was. And we were going to do a week of live shows there. Right. And, you know, and everyone was invited and, uh, and we had a bunch of guests who were going to come on. Some musicians were going to play. We we're going to do a lot of the bits that we did on the show live in front of a studio audience, all that stuff. The day we get there, we're expecting 30 or 40 people to show up. There is a line going up, uh, up fifth street, down market, down fourth, back up chestnut right to the, and we're going, Oh, and the place only held about, if you packed them in like sardines, it would be a hundred people, and there were easily three or four hundred outside. And that was before we got on the air. Wow! So that's when we began to realize, oh my god! I mean, this is we're popular, right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. got to a point where, and in this day and age, uh, we were talking about like Preston and Steve earlier, right? As big as their numbers are. It, it wasn't like it was for us because the market size was different, the metering was different, the way everything was done. Basically, every third person in the city listened to the show. So you could walk down the street and go, no, no, yes, no, no, yes, no, no, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, so it was, it, I, I mean, it, to this day, I can honestly say, and, and God is my witness on my father's grave, I swear to you, when someone tells me they listen to my show, I go, you do? <laughs> I'm more shocked than anybody else. Right? You know, so, uh, but, but that, that is what, that's when the, the scope of the show hit us for the very first time. And then we started doing the shows in Atlantic City, the live shows in Atlantic City, where we literally had to, we had a room for a thousand and we literally would, uh, the people who would come down there could only stay for two hours. Because at eight o'clock, mm-hmm. we would empty the room and let the other thousand that was outside mm-hmm. come in. These are people who were skipping out, skipping out of work, right? To, to come down and see this silly radio show, you know. But we had a lot of great guests and a lot of great performances. I mean, you know, uh, when Trump was on, Mike Tyson was on, uh, Jerry Seinfeld was on. I mean, the, the list went on and on of the names that we had performing for us. So, mm-hmm. um, you know. Well, yeah. well I, I don't know how that se- segues to Prague, but at some point in all of this, y- you were able to get into some esoteric and, and some non-mainstream music, and, and it wasn't you alone. You, you had cronies in the business doing the same thing. I mean, wh- what do you remember from, from, from that period, pr- promoting these, these odd, geeky, proggy bands? Again, I come from a radio, and I come from a time where uh, black people listen to rock and roll. Uh, listeners listened with an open ear. Music was important. Music, you know, I come from a time where there was, you know, Rolling Stone was a new paper, and it folded. You know, mm-hmm. have you ever seen the original Rolling no, Stone? I had no right? idea. Oh yeah, yeah, no. It wasn't magazine format. It was, it was, you know, newspaper format, um, like tabloid. But it folded in half. Mm-hmm. Right? You know, so so when you were reading it, you basically were reading four quadrants, kind of like what we're looking at right now. Right. <laughs> right. Oh, so um, we're the Rolling so, Stone of, pro- of podcast. 
<laughs> so, uh, we, you know, you were limited to the amount of information you could get. It was like you would hear these stories and repeat these stories. I don't know if they were true or not. I mean, I remember, you know, meeting a guy who worked at London Records in Manhattan, right? And, you know, and I would ask him about, you know, what, you know, have you ever met Mick Jagger? You know, yeah. And he goes, oh, yeah. He says, you know, and the guy was probably lying his ass off to me. He goes, yeah. He says, the, the one thing you don't do is just, you don't ask Mick Jagger how he's doing. I said, why not? He goes, because you don't want to know. Right? And, you, know, <laughs> you know, but that, that was like 1967, 1968. You know, so you, you, you scrounge around for your information. So, but people listened with an open ear. They gave all music a chance. Right? You know, and it wasn't, it wasn't like, this sucks, I'm changing. You know, uh, and, you know, and again, you didn't have a lot of choices. Right, but you knew that, like, all right, I'll get, I'll sit through this song, but the next song will be something I like, and that's really the way it was. I mean, you know, I don't want to get into pure, you know, radio formatics, but it is amazing how you know we were left with the okay, you got to make sure you play at least two of these songs an hour, or two of these albums an hour, not necessarily the songs, two of these albums an hour, and you got to play at least one a track from one of the new albums every hour. And then everything else, make sure you, you know, fit everything else in between, right? And whatever else it is that you want to do. So, uh, I mean, I remember being at MMR and playing Prince. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was, that was scary. It was really, really scary. I honestly felt like I went, here's my balls. Why don't you try this? <laughs> ah, ah, right? You know, uh, because it was, uh, you know, that was not what we did. We we played Michael Jackson and used Eddie Eddie uh, Van Halen playing on the song, uh, you know, on Beat It, right, to as an excuse right. for playing Michael Jackson. Nobody complained, you know. Um, this there was this this yeah. openness that you're talking about. Was that? Did you feel that was? Was that a Philly thing, or was that a a cultural thing, sort of across? That was the a country? cultural thing. That was a cultural thing across okay. the country. I mean, in major market radio, you know, uh, you know, you, uh, not in every market, but it was, you know, it was happening in San Francisco, it was happening in L.A., it's happening in New York, happening in Boston, happening in Philly, uh, happening happening in uh, the D.C. area, really as well, mm. um, Chicago, uh, maybe St. Louis. Not in the deep south, you know. Yeah, um, not so much. Not, no, not, <laughs> not so much. <laughs> John, John. So that taps into something. So uh, th- many of the bands that have most heavily influenced me musically in life, you most likely introduced me to. Okay. And, and so, Mister, I apologize. Are you? Ready? No, no. It's. I mean, like. <laughs> It's it's and, it, and it, you're touching upon this this thing. So there's this openness, and yet at the same time, you and 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 many others, but you know, from my experience, you were sort of this ambassador of of you know. Sure, we had an open mind, mm-hmm. but someone had to fill that with with things, and you know. And you mentioned the Michael Jackson and the Prince. Like, can you talk a little bit about that process? Like when you would curate your show, like that those spots that you had. Like, how often did you feel like, okay, I'm taking a huge risk, but it's worth it because, you know, people are going to connect with this versus, oh, they have to really hear this. Like, how, how did that all play out? 
there wasn't a lot of thought in it. There really wasn't. It was, you know, I'm going to play the best music I possibly can, and hopefully people are going to like it. I mean, uh, I, I did a bit when I was on, on Long Island, and I brought it to MMR with me called The Screamer of the Week. Yep, I remember. Hmm. And, yeah. and The Screamer of the Week was, and it, it, I, it was not an original bit. I mean, they, they did a bit like that in 50s radio. You know, it's like it was the hot song of the week, right? But we we included the listeners making a pick on it and every jock on the station picking a song. So everybody would pick some new song that came out in the past week, right? Or, you know, or during the course of that month, right? And, uh, okay, and I'm picking this one and Joe is picking this one and Pierre's picking this one and so on down the line. And then people would call in and vote and we would play one or we would play two of them every hour throughout the show and um people were just you know they were just just open to it they they, they understood the process but that bit started because of joan jett mm-hmm. uh the the first joan jett album showed up the one that was on blackheart records and um uh i was i i brought it home and it immediately spoke to me I knew, I, I can honestly say that when I brought it home, I didn't know anything about the Runaways. The Runaways, you know, and America didn't know anything about the Runaways. The <laughs> Runaways were a West Coast band that, you know, had you know had some airplay, you know, had a lot of airplay on the West Coast. Now, the East Coast, I don't know a single radio station that played the Runaways. Joan came along, and I hear this album, you know, and I put it on, I get, and then she goes into Bad Reputation, and I went, Oh man, this is it. This is the shit, right? <laughs> and and uh, you know, I I was I I didn't want to turn the album over because I was so pleased with side one. I was afraid that side two was going to disappoint me, and side two was just as good. And that's what made me do that bit on the radio because I was going. This record is screaming off my turntable. It is demanding to get. Right. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know where it is. It would be, take too much to, to go and get it. But I was making jokes about Joan, all right, about this album. It was fantastic. This album is just so good, right? I'm, but, but I don't know who this girl thinks she is. I mean, you know, she sits here, you know, she's trying to make me believe that she's so tough. Like, you know, oh, uh, I drink motor oil and my bicycle doesn't have seat. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, and one day the phone rings. Little do I know, Joan lives in the area. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. She was born somewhere near Lankinar or something. Oh, no, no, no. She was born in, she was born in Lansdale, right? Oh, okay. But she was living, I was working on Long Island at the time, and she was living in Long Beach, Long Island. <laughs> so we, the station came booming in, and the phone rings, and he goes, who's this? And I said, uh, this is John DeVell. You the guy on the radio? Yeah, I'm the guy on the radio. <laughs> and he said, he says, I, you know, I appreciate you playing my song, but, you know, you could start talking about how tough I am. I'll, you know, I'm tough. I, you know, I'll come over there. I'll start, I said, no, you're so tough, lady. Why don't you come down? Why don't you come down here? And you just drop my pants. Uh, Steve, you're tough enough to do that. Mm. She did. <laughs> so there you go. And I, and I just got and Kenny Laguna, her uh, her manager, just found, bumped into a picture of the two of us in the studio. Right, we looked like children. I bet. Right? Sure. And I would do anything. I thought I was the fattest man on the planet. And I would do anything to be that thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, uh, but but th that's how the screamer came about, and the screamer gave us gave us the doorway to introduce lots of new music. You know, to use Paul's phrase, as you're curating your show, and you're you're right. you know the the new Peter Gabriel comes out comes out, and right, right. And, and you want to you know you're 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 thinking about what what track do you want to play on on this record for your your listeners? Mm -hmm. Did was was there any thought in your mind of this is pretty weird, you know. Which? How do I do this? Or because? Yeah, no, no, because because you, you listen to the album, and without fail, there is there, there's going to be the first time you hear the album, you hear the standout track, you hear the one that goes, "This is the one you should play." Okay, All right. The hard part is finding song three. Right. You know. You know. You know. Like a lot of albums, you know, it's rare. A lot of albums, you didn't even get a song two, right? <laughs> especially nowadays. Right. You know, and if it wasn't for that, it, we would have never had Napster. Right. So, uh, <laughs> Be wow. because, you know, we, we've we've talked on our podcast a lot about, again, you know, the 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 trick, if that's the right word or the, the gimmick on the third Peter Gabriel record is the no symbols, which, uh -huh. you know, and, and you talk about sort of superficially listening to, to music. I mean, I listen to that you know, all the time I was growing up and it wasn't until we started this podcast about four years ago that I was, you know, actually doing research into things. And it's like, wait, there are no symbols on that record. And you listen to it and you're like, yeah, there are no symbols on that record. But, you know, so, and, and, and Peter himself, or I should not Peter himself, a lot of, a lot of Peter's song structures and, and song topics are not usual either. But, but again, in, in until Phil you get to so. <laughs> Until you get to sew, you're, you're absolutely right. So, so through that first part, you know, it, it it seemed like the fact that Peter was as popular as he was and got as much radio play in the Philly area seems, in retrospect, to be a curious sort of thing. I mean, but it did, was there any accommodation or any knowledge that it was different music compared to other things? No, because I mean, look, there was a time in Philadelphia where a radio station could play Genesis, yes, Peter Gabriel, David Bowie, right? Maybe another band or two and succeed. Right. <laughs> it was it was such a prog rock town. I mean, there are people who to this day who why don't you play UFO? Right? You know? <laughs> it's like because no one other than you remembers that. <laughs> <laughs> now, not that they were a bad band. It's right, yeah. just, it's, you know, it's like they, they never had, and they never had a real hit, that radio hits, but never a real hit. Right? So, so that thinking, I mean, it never entered my mind until you mentioned the symbol things. I even forgot that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that there are no symbols on it. Right. And I should know because this is really going to get you. I have cassettes of the basic tracks <laughs> from that album. And from so without vocals and just him working out the sounds. Get out oh, of wow, town. Man. That is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So Okay. Oh, that's amazing. That that is amazing. And and so this this opens up a whole new avenue. And and it sort of leads us into the the, the so as I call it inflection point, because a lot of things sort of seem to come together in so. So was, you know, that was what, eighty six when Genesis broke huge, so broke, you know, huge. Um, 
I guess, and GTR was doing their thing. So all five members of Genesis were like everywhere at this point. Right. And, um, and, and so in a lot of ways is more accessible, but it still is very much a Peter Gabriel record. Now it sounds like you, John DeBella, being friends with Peter Gabriel, were sort of on the inside of all of this. So, I mean, any, any insight either from a friend of Peter or as a radio DJ about that time period and, and that, that what makes so different from the previous four records? Well, I think I, I, what happens in so more than anything else is the audience gets it. Where in other, you know, you know, yeah, I love San Jacinto, right? So but, good. <laughs> yeah, but for you know, you know, you know, for most people, right? What the hell is San Jacinto? You know, like, <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, and and this, I think this happened with a lot of people. Uh, Peter's early music, it was it was such great music that people didn't really know why they liked it. They liked it because they liked the way it sounded, right? But when so comes along, not only does it sound great, but you can follow the lyrics. The lyrics take you somewhere that is understandable. Right, you know, take a song like Mercy Street. Right. I mean, you know, you know, which there is in South Philly. I remember going to a Peter Gabriel song, cutting through South Philly to avoid all the traffic on Broad Street, and all of a sudden I stop. I go, I'm on Mercy Street. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! I got to show this to Peter. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but I think that that's what it did. That it was it was so much easier for people to follow. And then, of course, there were videos. Right, right. You know, so you know, and he, and yeah, but didn't he win an award for that Polaroid video? I think so. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sledgehammer. Wait, that was that was all the rage that year, right? It was it was groundbreaking in any number of ways, and yeah, and I made it my mission to make that a, a hit out. Okay, right? I mean, that, so we can we can thank you. <laughs> you can, it was all my doing. <laughs> um, um, now I, I think it's very possible. I'm not sure. We'll see. Okay. Well, if you can see over here, and there's like, uh, I gotta get my big fat hand. Yeah. That. Okay. The 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 record on top up there is a platinum single for I Love Rock and Roll. Okay. Okay. The year that that went platinum as a single. Remember that means you sold one million singles. singles. Wow. <laughs> All right. <laughs> um, uh, only, only I love rock and roll, and Eye of the Tiger got platinum singles that year. And then there's a, there, there's a, a, a bunch of there's a photograph group below that. And then the next thing there's down so, there, yeah. that's the uh, Maplethorpe photos. Yeah, uh, that and uh, Peter framed that and says gave it to me and it's signed, right? But um, uh, and uh, so, somewhere on this wall, and it's probably behind my seat. Is where oh oh there oh, there, there right. oh well, us, there's the us, us right there us uh, over my shoulder we're gonna get to and us then, in, in a second because I, I right. and and then and then on the other side that's so that's incredible <laughs> nice but uh, but it it just became Peter and I were becoming more and more friendly and I, I just decided that I'm going to I'm going to do everything in my power. To make sure that the the nation knows about this, because MMR at that time was such a huge radio station mm -hmm. that when MMR added your record, you were you go you were going to go gold or platinum. 
it was going to happen mm. because we had such influence over other radio stations in America. People waited for us. I have, I have gold records in my basement, right? For records that no one at the station really had anything to do. Right? But when MMR added it and we all were playing it, we pushed that band over the top. Mm. And then, okay, here's a the platinum record. And if you're really lucky, we'll get your satin jacket. too. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, but, but a story, uh, if, if I can continue about, so yeah, I had, yes. there, there was, there was a, a radio station in, uh, not Cleveland, uh, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, right? WEBN and Cincinnati decided that it was not going to play Sledgehammer because basically it was country funk it was it, it was closer to the beverly hillbillies than it was to rock and roll i'm quoting people at the radio station really who, who refused to play the song right and and i went on the air and says and so i talk about this the station webn which obviously stands for we're educated below normal <laughs> right? and uh we need to do something about this so I went out and bought a hundred hammers and, and went out on the street and said, I said, look, on you know, tomorrow morning, I'm going to be on the corner of 19th and Walnut Street, and I am, uh, I'm going to have these hammers. And they can't all come from me here at the station, right? I need, and it can't be the same handwriting. It can't be a label or something like that, right? Uh, I need people to stop by, put in their return address, you know, mail it to, we'll give you the address to, to write on the envelope, right? And we'll pay the postage and all that. And we sent a hundred hammers to WEBN, right? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they were nice enough to donate them to, uh, like, you know, Habitat or Humanity or something like that. Right. But they got the point and they added the record. <laughs> oh, wow. So, <laughs> uh, so, uh, so that, uh, that, uh, let's say more than anything else that probably sealed my friendship <laughs> right with peter right. right and his manager i forget her name right but his manager at the time was like peter john's doing a lot of wacky stuff and it's helping <laughs> <laughs> so, so i have i have a lot of so stuff <laughs> that is amazing i mean you know and we we've already recorded our episode on so but, you know, growing up and, and being the age we were, you know, Gen Xers were always like a step behind all the cool stuff to to your uh -huh. T-shirt point earlier. I, I, I guess, you know, we realized your influence in the Philadelphia market, but I guess I had no clue that we were we were sitting at the epicenter of the at least the U.S. so phenomenon. That is incredible to find out. Well, you know, well MMR and the Morning Zoo at the time um, – we were breaking serious ground. I mean, uh, you know, and it got to the point that everybody thought that, well, all you had to do was uh, was uh, put a couple of wacky guys in the studio right. and make sure one of them had a horn uh, and, um, and, and, you know, and call it the morning zoo and you immediately come, become number one. And I tried to explain it wasn't the package, it was the content. Yeah. Right, you know, and, you know, and a lot of them, you know, went their merry way. And you know, and we continue. So, so, so you you made it 
a point. You were going to promote so you were going to make it a big record. Were you surprised by how large that record wound up being? No, no, not really, not really, because 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 I mean, because I heard it. Yeah. I, I I knew you know, and it was look, it was the damn middle of the eighties, right? And it was you know, it, it, it was. You know, you had all these other bands. You had all those '80s bands coming out. You know that there was Simple Minds and you know an ABC and Depeche Mode and OMD and you know and a lot of other bands with letters. Right? Um, uh, and you know, and here was Peter with this album, which wasn't. You know, a lot of that stuff was very electronic. A lot of that stuff coming out of England yeah. was very electronic, right? But uh, you know, here was Peter with this album that was. It was still rock and roll. It was still, you know, um, uh, you know, Prague, right? Mm -hmm. But it was, but it was really understandable, right? You know, I mean, when you get into a lot of Prague rock, it's really more about the sound and, you know, and, and the playing than it is about the words and, you know, and the message, right? Yes. right? I, you know, Yes has done songs with messages, right? You know, seen all good people. Yeah, there's a song, you know, you know, with a message, but. But overall, most of their songs, like, what are they singing about? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it sounds great. I love it. You yeah. know? So, so, so prog rock, I always looked at it. It's, it's more about sound and power and performance than it is about songwriting, you know, because it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's more orchestral. It's more classical. And all of those guys, for the most part, were classically trained. I mean, look at Wakeman. Yeah. Wakeman has more organ albums than he does rock albums. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so. uh, well, you're right up the right alley, I mean, because our, our 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 listeners are all about yes, and particularly cats like Rick Wakeman, so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I recently, Rick was, was in town, it was before COVID, and for those who are not from Philadelphia, uh, there used to be this department store in Center City, and it's the main part of Philadelphia, um, uh, called Wanamaker's. Mm -hmm. And Wanamaker's has this giant pipe yeah. organ. All right. Oh, if you're and, telling me, if you're going to go where I think you're going to go, I'm going to get a little I, excited. And, and, I, <laughs> no, and for years, I was trying to get this to happen. And there were some, you know, the friends of the Wanamaker pipe organ, and only certain people are allowed to touch it. And, you know, and I, I remember saying to the guy who was responsible for, you know, being the head friend of the pipe organ and one of the players, I, you know, I say to him, how many albums do you have? Well, I don't have any albums. I'm not a professional musician, but I, I don't record. Well, this guy has 26 organ albums right? <laughs> organ albums right he's played the biggest pipe organs in the world right you gotta let him play this so and and i was always getting turned down i was getting turned down and then last year or the year before whenever it was right um i got a hold of the the manager the general manager of the store who was helping me make it happen oh. right and, and we came like this close until because I knew Rick because I had spoken to Rick about it years earlier, right? and, and you know, and I knew that you know he could you know he would he would love it, right? and he comes into the studio and we're talking. I said, "Look, I said I've made these arrangements. I can make this whole thing happen." He goes, "John, I can't do it." Oh, <laughs> finally, he says, "He goes, my feet have at my age <laughs> have swelled up so much." 
that I can't play any of the foot pedals oh. because when I go to press when I go to press one, I press three. <laughs> oh. oh no! <laughs> right? So it never happened. Oh, it never oh. Happened, oh. that right. that is one fun man though. Uh, uh, I, I, I totally believe that. And it, it's funny. So two sort of, you know, stories from our side on that. Um, I work for a company based in Switzerland. So I was over there on business. And so I, I had a free weekend. So I went down to Vevey, Switzerland to, you know, kind of crash into and take of the church and take pictures of the organ that Rick used on the Awaken album, which was very much uh, fun. Oh, and then the other part. So, what was it? 2017, Paul, when we did our three yeah. ARW shows in and around yeah. the Philadelphia area. The third one we went to was in Philly at whatever the the wonderful facility that was. It was oh, the Kimmel Center. Yeah. 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 And and in the you know obviously behind the stage is that pipe organ. Right. And and Paul like they're playing Awaken, and Paul and I are like the whole time going, "Is Rick going to go up there and play the organ? Please let Rick go up there and play the organ." <laughs> but of course, that didn't happen. <laughs> It wasn't in the rider. It oh, was not. <laughs> no, the friends of that organ prevented him from. Uh, uh, you know, who knows? It, it would have presented some logistics, but he, you know, he finished uh, what owner of a lonely heart all over the place with a keytar on that. So the keytar, he, he could clearly walk around the uh, the facility. So that's right. that's great. Not, not 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 to keep you all Friday, but yeah. But, but but did you ever have access to Lidditz PA? And yes, used to come to Pennsylvania and do all their rehearsals and and their theater and the round and all that. Um, uh, you mean the Larry Maggot Octet? Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you know what that story is all no, about? No, no. Okay. Uh, no, I would never. I I I I would I would n be aware of when they were in Lidditz and when they were rehearsing and stuff like that. But it wasn't something that I ever crashed or was invited to or anything. Because for the most part, have you ever been around those things? <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bunch of fields in a warehouse with a rehearsal yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's a lot of standing around and going, you know, and they start, and they stop, and they start, and they stop. I don't want to seem jaded, but when you've seen it once, right, yeah. it doesn't really change from band to band. Seeing the dress rehearsal of the wall at the wall in Berlin, that was special. Right? Okay. And, okay. Yeah. You, know, you know, just seeing a band rehearse for a tour. But the Larry Maggot Octet, do you remember when, uh, when Yes went out and they brought everybody who had been in the group? Mm hmm right oh, yeah into the you yes. know yes. out on yes. tour larry maggot the promoter the electric factory promoter uh here in philadelphia is a huge yes fan right more f more for the band and the and the guys than, than than for the music loves the group loves all the guys all of the guys will do anything in the world for him right and he came up with this idea of doing this show in the round uh you know and and they get the whole band together and the band made up shirts that said <laughs> The Larry Maggot Octet. <laughs> oh my God, that's great! <laughs> and if uh, uh, I'm going to assume only you guys ever saw that show, we saw right? it twice. Oh, uh, we saw. It oh, twice. you did. Yeah. You did. Okay. Now, do you remember those things they had on stage? Of there was those arcs. Mm -hmm. those yeah. 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 Okay. They're in the Electric Factory. Really? Oh, yes. theater. Right? Okay. If you look up about or whatever they call the Electric Factory now, Franklin something. Yeah, right, right. The Franklin Music Hall is that it? Yeah, yeah. Right? But if you look up like where the DJ booth is up on the side, you'll see there's two of them there 
Right? He goes, after the tour was over, they gave him back to Larry. Uh, <laughs> oh, my God. He was probably at the Yes 50. If, 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 wouldn't be surprised. Uh, oh, oh bro, there's no way he wouldn't have been. Yeah, 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 and 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 the production company who who always had took care of them and lit it uh, got a lot of props this time around too. So, yeah, yeah, they're, they're good good Philly roots, good Philly network in all all areas for yes. Thank you. Yeah, That's cool. This is amazing, yeah. and and as Ken said, we don't want to necessarily keep you all day, but you keep uh, putting up stuff. So, <laughs> when when you said you were at the rehearsal, what a surprise! I can just keep talking. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> when when you said you were at the rehearsal for the Wall Show in Berlin, did that have anything to do with the uh, Rick DeFonso connection at all, or how did you wind uh, up there? Well, no, that, that did. That, okay. Uh, to, 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 some, to some extent, I just spoke to Rick a couple of weeks ago. Oh, cool. Uh, uh, but. Um, uh, God, you know, if I was more prepared, there are so many <laughs> pictures and things that I could be showing we, you. We can we can have you back later, John. That's not a problem. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, well, well, yeah. Uh, actually, actually, that started long before the dress rehearsal. I was uh, I was in London doing week radio shows. Rick was in London rehearsing with Roger. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, for um, you know, for the, for those shows, and and we were doing a week of shows from uh, Bill Wyman's Sticky Fingers Restaurant. Okay, cool. So uh, when the shows were over with, I was spending time hanging with Rick and a couple of other friends, and I'm trying to remember not Andy Fairweather low, but one day, right while we were there, Rick says to me, he says, "Hey, he says you, know, you want to take a ride with me?" And I said, "Where are you going?" He says, "I have to go to Roger's house." Right, and pick up some stuff. I go, right. You go to Roger Waters' house? Yeah, I'll go to Roger Waters. <laughs> right. And you know, and it's a dank day in you know in London, and we go in, and we go to this house, and it's like you, you know those British houses that are like, you know, they're like they're like townhouses here, and there's mm-hmm. like one right next to the other, next to the other. That's where he lived. And I'm like, this is the rock star's home. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and, and, and with like two greyhounds in the house that were just like doing what greyhounds do. <laughs> That's it. That's it. All right. We're resting. We may have to run. <laughs> yes. And I hate to shift back to yes again. Sure. Yeah. All right. All right. We're, we're going to bring it back to Gabriel at some point. So it's okay. At some point. At some point. But I was just telling this story on the air the other day of they mixed. 90210 up in Bearsville. Mm-hmm. And oh, Rundgren's yep. place. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, a bunch of people, everybody, his mother was using that space. Right. And we get this call, me and the program director from the station, and uh, this guy, uh, uh, Freddie Dean, AKA Freddie DeScipio, who was a major record promotions guy and, and, and just Freddie's just the, the, the best on the planet. And uh, they said, hey, do you want to come up and hear the album? We've, we've done the final mixes. Right? So we get in a limo. They send a limo for us, and we head up to Bearsville. And I was on the air that morning, and we didn't get back until like 1 or 2 in the morning. Oh, so wow. That, oh. that next day's show was real a winner. I- <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we get up there, and we're listening to the, the whole thing on which John was very, very excited to tell us, we're going to listen to it on 
dad tapes. Ooh, right? dad you know, tapes. That was new. No one had dads. We didn't have dads in the studio. Right. No one had. They were just in recording studios. He says we recorded an album on this, right? You know, it's about big, right? You know, so um, and you know, just going up there and listening to that whole thing, and you know, just me, those two guys, and and you know, John Anderson, John Anderson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Rick, Rick does the best impression of John. So. Oh heavens! I can I only imagine. <laughs> so meanwhile, back at so. Yeah right. So, <laughs> so, so you've you've now launched. Can, so wait, can I? Yeah, I just have to interrupt. So, so when you heard the mix of nine hundred one two five for the first time on that tape, were you? What was your reaction to that? Do you remember what you? Uh, Oh, that it was big. It was bigger than any Yes album I had heard before, Mm. right? That the sound was, you know, that the technology finally caught up with Yes's ability, Mm. you know, uh, that that was, I mean, it was, and, you know, and then hearing it in in a recording studio with speakers. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it was loud. But, but nice. it was it was big. It was a really great, great content. Awesome. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine oh, how yeah. fantastic. And by then the legwork was done. I mean, I mean, you had already promoted yes to the point where where. Oh yeah, I had, I, had, I had little to do with it. You know. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Well, <laughs> going back to Peter Gabriel, so we can finish this up and mm-hmm. and let you, John, finish your week and and let these other guys get back to work. I'm on vacation, so I'm I'm good at this point. So, You're assuming I have friends and something to do. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so circling back to to Peter Gabriel to sort of to finish this out, and, and there are a couple different time. there are a couple <laughs> there, yeah for the fifth time there are a couple different places we can go with this, but you, you know you single handedly have launched Peter Gabriel's career into the stratosphere at least in the U.S. So congratulations on that. And then I, I, that's that's really a lot more credit than I deserve. <laughs> I, I, that's that's the story that I heard, and that's the story that I'm going to report. So we're going to go with that. <laughs> so it, at this point, uh, you know, one of the things that you know we sort of noticed in in our coverage of his catalog at at this point is you know Peter Peter seems to be very vested in in social justice issues and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. At this point, after the success of So, he now has this platform on which to do it. And um, and, and I think that sort of seems to play a more central role in, certainly in, in the next album, Us, Up, the next album that he has, Us, all these short titles are getting to me, uh, was, you know... It, was was there any sort of conscious part of that that you were aware of that you were involved in um, that you uh, witnessed? I, I really didn't. I, I didn't have anything to do with us beyond you know I was a big Peter Gabriel fan and of course I you know I promoted the hell out of it. I mean, uh, uh, us for me is uh, just uh, you know the natural extension of so. Mm-hmm. Right, you know, he has found uh, he has found a you know a, a new way of of writing, right? Uh, or uh, you know, nothing uh, that new, but just he he found a niche. He found something that that he worked really well. Yeah, and and us was a, a continue of the continuation of that. Right. If that's the case, then I would say that. And there were a couple of years before the the next you know studio album came out. There was there were the, the the soundtrack albums in between, but the next studio album then would be up, 
which mm-hmm. is in some ways it's almost an amalgam, I think, of the the so us formula with the Peter Gabriel three formula because it it does have that sort of darker edge to it and mm-hmm. and things like that, you know. And I I think it's a brilliant record, but I don't even know where I'm going with this one other than yeah, you know yeah. what's your feelings on on the later catalog. And I, I want to at least give up some some time here if if it's worth it. I but think it is. I, I mean, I mean, there, there. I think there's a step in there that that you might be missing, and that is Peter and world music. Yes, right. And you know, and 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 that is coming with the combination of social justice and then him finding out Yusu Endure and all of those guys. Yeah, right. You know, and and really making world bringing world music to the forefront and remember he would do, do you remember that big event he was going to do i forget the hell what the hell the name of it was, was. it was womad womad no yeah yeah right and oh there, there there was a reason to come up with a new album right <laughs> he needed money that's right <laughs> right right he went broke yeah after us i think i think i was i, I think that that's around the time that i got out of radio mm-hmm. for the first time Right. It's like Don Corleone. I try to get out. They keep pulling me back in. <laughs> right. Not that I lost touch with Peter, but I I put music away mm-hmm. again for about a year, right. and and then I came back because I was getting married again. And uh, when you get married, it, I mean, I, I I was fortunate enough that I made great money through the eighties. I uh, I invested well. Uh, my business manager told me that if I didn't want to, uh, as long as I didn't change anything in my life, uh, I couldn't buy any more houses. I could get a new car every few years, right? But uh, for the most part, uh, I, I was I was set. Right? And then I told him I wanted to get married again, and he told me that I didn't have enough money anymore. <laughs> so uh so i stopped collecting cars and uh <laughs> and I sold them off and bought a different house and um uh, got back into radio but at that time that's when all of the uh modern rock stuff started coming along mm. Uh, that's when we were getting you know, the spin doctors and the food fighters and, you know, Nirvana yeah. and, you know, all of those bands are coming along. And I found that very exciting mm-hmm. because this is the hardest thing for people to believe. But in the late seventies, early eighties, prior to me getting to MMR, I was a punk. I was Mr. Punk Rock. Really? I had Oh, I had hair. Are you ready for this one? I cut my hair real short. Right? I still had hair on the top of my head. I cut my hair real short and dyed it blonde so that when it came back in, all of the ends of my hair would have these tiny little blonde. I had a rat tail at one time that was pink and purple. I uh, spent a lot of time at CBGB. I uh, see uh, CBGB is where you could watch the syphilis jump off the wall. But so so when 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 uh, active rock started, that really spoke to me. And and, and again, that's a, again that's a reason why the Joan Chet album. Right, I, I found that so exciting because you know I like that real balls rock and roll. I mean, like I started this my, my show this morning with. Uh, 
uh, "Running Down a Dream" from Tom Petty. Okay, and it's like, and, and it's like, th- there's no better way to start a radio program. And I literally came in when the song was over. I said, "I'm sorry, folks. I said we're going to play a lot of music today, but I'm not going to top that five minutes." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, "That's a, that, that that there is no better song to start a radio program with than that song." Now, we spent time uh, in a previous podcast talking about the new wave movement and the punk movement and and the journalists had their revenge on on the prog crowd in the late 70s. The journalists have effectively uh, neutralized Mm -hmm. and brought the new crop of artists. And and then in in our podcast, for our purposes, we talked about how Peter survived that. Uh, Yeah. Well, well, again, again, I... Early on, you know, Peter came out of Prague and then became, you know, for me, he was an identity, a style all of his own, right? Yeah, it was based in that, right? But I didn't find it to be as Prague as Genesis was when he was in it, as Yes was at that time, right? right? You know, um, uh, so, so, yeah, yeah, I mean, he managed to escape it. But then again, you know, look. <laughs> the, 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 the only I give so little credit, so little credit to to two sections of the music business. One is the record companies themselves. I have no pity for any record company because yeah. er, everything they did, they did to themselves, and that's why you know it's like you know that's why we got Napster. I, I made that reference earlier. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. like you know you say to some kid, "We're going to pay." You remember how much CDs were at that time? You were playing like, you know, $14, $16, $18 for a damn CD, and you go out and buy Oasis, and it has one friggin' song on it, and the rest of it's okay, mm-hmm. you know? So, you know, your friend says, oh, I want to go buy that. He says, ah, he says, don't worry about this. I'll make you a copy, right? You know? And then yeah. Napster comes along, and everybody's trading along. Yeah. Who did that? The record companies did that. The record mm-hmm. companies, got, they got rid of their A&R guys. They got rid of these men who nurtured these bands along. And they just started signing all of these bands that had, hey, that's a great song. And then, you know, nothing to back them up. No future. Yeah. No, 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 you know, didn't take their time and nurture that act. Put them out there. Their one song does great. And then, boom, they're over and done. Right? You know, so, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's one. And, and, and music critics. You know, uh, there were there were some there were some great ones again in the '60s, in the '70s. But as as we you know progressed, they just you know they oh they know so much more than us. Oh they oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah yeah. So remember, these are the people who who thought Led Zeppelin sucked. Right. <laughs> right. You know, the Eagles weren't going to get anywhere. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like, you know, they trashed all of these bands. The amount of bands that they trash, it's just like, eh, 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 you know, please, I just, I just hate them. I always have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't mind if they, you know, I don't mind, you know, rep- music reporters who bring me up the speed of what's going on. I, you know, I, I thank those people a lot. But music critics, eh, yeah, you know what they say about opinions. That's yep. right. <laughs> <laughs> well. 
I, I feel like we're, we're winding down, but we're not just prog heads. Um, okay. You know, Joe has been to many Hooters shows, and <laughs> and, and 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 you can testify to you know how they came up through Philly Rock Radio. My first concert was Robert Hazard and the Heroes at Delaware Valley Agricultural College <laughs> in the gymnasium. Not be agricultural. <laughs> I know, but but local bands used to pack pack local college auditoriums thanks to promotions from our mainstream radio stations here in the city it was amazing. one of the things one of the things when i first came down to philadelphia right, and, and you know they they that i came down to to you know they called me in new york uh they wanted me to come down uh, i mean the, the conversation i used to sleep in the afternoons when i was younger because you had to go out at night there were no vcrs you know you know if you wanted to see what was happening on tv right you couldn't tape it right you know you, you had to watch that show so i would sleep in the afternoons and you know go out at night or watch tv do whatever i was going to do right and uh so I, I get a phone call from uh the program director of the radio station at the time and i'm asleep right? and he calls me he wakes me up and i pick up the phone and he goes hi he says john Bella. i was like yeah he says this is charlie kendall i'm the uh i'm the program director of wmmr in philadelphia uh, we've got a uh, you know an eight share in the marketplace and we would like you to come here and be our morning man and the first words out of my mouth were well i should be able to get that down to a five in no time <laughs> 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 and he goes, what? <laughs> he goes, what? You are the wise ass. They say you are. That's why you call. <laughs> That's what you wanted, right? <laughs> so do, do I do a Charlie Kendall imitation because he is the iconic voice of of local radio. Right. Well, well, he, well, well, he. What do you mean, Philadelphia? That guy. Yeah, I <laughs> met guy, him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, uh, but I came down to Philly. Uh, to not really interview, I really kind of had the job, but I wanted to see: Do I want to live here? Do I want to, you know, what's this town like? I, I mean, in New York, we we were basically afraid of coming to Philadelphia, mm. uh, you know, because that, you know, that's back in the Rizzo days, and you know, if you were a hippie, right, you know, well, here, hello, let me introduce you to my Billy Club, right? Um, so, uh, so I come down and I'm riding around and I'm listening to the station, and I'm in shock over the amount of local music that they played on this radio station because Amen. on Long Island, with the exception of like Twisted Sister and a couple of other bands, right? On Long Island, all of the local bands were cover bands. Mm. There, there, there was so few original music bands, right? You know, Billy Joel was already gone. He was in LA, right? You know, uh, I mean, early on in the early 60s, you know, we had the, the Hassles and the Rich Kids and all those bands and they were all original music bands but they weren't getting played on the radio, right? Uh, I come down here and I'm hearing Robert Hazard and I'm yelling at men, I'm yelling at Hooters, I'm yelling at the A's and all that. And I'm like, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think. think Thoroughgood. Flamin' Harry. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Harry, George Thoroughgood. Well, we were playing George Thoroughgood, but at that time George was already a, a, a recording artist, right? You know, mm -hmm. so we had George Thoroughgood records up in New York. but. And I was like, oh my God, this is really refreshing. Right? You know, and you know, and then within the first three months of my living here, uh, they closed down Emerald City and uh, the London Victory Club burned to the ground. Literally, I was there on Tuesday, it was gone on Wednesday. Holy oh, cow. No. <laughs> <laughs> you don't wow. you don't take any credit for that though, right? 
No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> we had the Chestnut Cabaret, the Empire Rock Club. We had oh, yeah. Mount Street. I mean, this place was amazing. Mm-hmm. No, no, it was. But, you know, it's it's like uh, a lot of that won't will never come back. It'll never return. Uh, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that technology has given us the ability to have everything we have, everything we want at the click of a button, at the change of a channel, right? And, you know, and, and it's, look, I've got a son who is a brilliant musician, right? And record companies keep coming to him, wanting to sign him. And he's like, why? What? <laughs> <laughs> right? You know, what are you going to do for me that I can't do on my own? Right? I could, I could put this song out and people will buy it and I will make as much money as you will end up giving me. Right. And, you know, I, I, and so I'd rather, you know, pay my, you know, pay for my own promotion, you know, cause you know, cause he's got family members who support him. <laughs> 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 With the instruments I see in the background, obviously this is a pain that you understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but but if if you get the opportunity, my son goes by the name of Casey Douglas. Uh, technically, he's my stepson, but he's been in my life since he was two, so he's my son. Right? We have uh, show notes. We will we we will. Uh, uh, well, yeah, and, uh, uh, definitely advertise Casey. Definitely check him out. All right, he is uh, he. He he's a Berkeley School of Music student, right? Uh, we we, yeah. we have connections to the Berkeley School of Music. Our other other podcast member who's not on right now, he lives out on the West Coast. He went to Berkeley School. Uh, he, he did. Yep. Yeah. Uh, did he graduate? He did. Oh, that's a rarity. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> we've come well, across like, we've come Berkeley across many alumni who have not. <laughs> Berkeley doesn't have freshmen, sophomores, juniors. They don't have that. They have. Third semester students, fourth <laughs> semester students. For so many of these guys, you know, they'll, they'll get something together while they're there, they, and they and they stop. They go out on the road, and you know, they take it as far as they can take it, and then they come back. Yeah, right, right. Uh, K- Casey left after after uh, what would have been his junior year. So, you know, but but he wasn't going for a degree. You know, that that, that you know, what do you need again? Uh, Scenic lighting and costumes is fun. You know, my, so. my guitar hero, Greg Davis, two two days at Berkeley, and figured out everything you needed. <laughs> two semesters. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he went to Berkeley. Uh, for, for for a spell, yeah, yeah. Huh? He met he met met a couple of famous people, got a couple of licks, and came back here and did the hard work himself. Yeah. Huh? Wow. <laughs> yeah. There you so, go. So. Anything go. else? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, not, I'm just that, that was that's me dealing with the uncomfortable lull in the conversation. <laughs> well, no, no I, pre- I, you got to promote your, your show, and um, so so you're with WMGK, correct? And and you are on in, in the in the morning, and you are still on traditional uh, uh, terrestrial. We like to say terrestrial radio. Terrestrial, terrestrial radio. Okay. okay. Right. And, and we can get you through a, the browser, I believe, too. In addition to the mm-hmm. terrestrial radio. Yeah. Okay. Great. We yeah. have we have a, an amazingly large audience outside of Philadelphia. Uh, there, were, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, I mean, the amount of people who listen to us in Florida, right, which is where people from the Northeast go to die. Um, <laughs> 
you know, we, I mean, they're on the air. They take part in bits. You know, <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll have a phone top. And go, hey, Mrs. Bob, where are you calling from? Boca Raton. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. You know, so. You retained your Philly fans no matter where they went. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, sure. it, it's, it's uh, frightening. Right? <laughs> um, well, I have a, a friend who lives in Delray and has a, a few businesses in Delray. You know, I was down visiting him and we're walking on Atlantic Avenue, which is like this restaurant row, which is a oh, spectacular yeah. street. Yeah. Right? And I'm walking, and as we're walking, people are going, Bella! Mm -hmm. I'm like really, I'm, I'm you know, fifteen hundred miles of home. Really, <laughs> so I mean, you were part of the package. They moved Wawa down there, and you had yeah. Part of there it is. <laughs> I'll tell you. I'll tell you what. Delray is one of my favorite places, and and Atlantic Avenue is. It doesn't surprise me at all. See, uh, see some of the bands that I've seen um, at like Johnny Brown's down there. It doesn't surprise uh, me at all that you well, would be recognized. Well, there's that one place across the street. You know, you know where the Starbucks is on, on yeah. Atlantic. All right, yeah. across the street is a cheesesteak place, <laughs> and it's a real cheesesteak place because it's you know I don't know what the name. Let's say the guy's name is Bob, and it says Bob's Steaks. Doesn't say cheese that's steak, right? Right, exactly. Bob's steaks, and like that's when you know you're going to a good cheesesteak place. <laughs> they don't need the cheese word, <laughs> right? <laughs> hey, John, give us a little bit more detail about the Veterans Run coming up, the fundraiser that you have. Uh, okay, um, uh, the Veterans Radiothon is something that started, oh god, 15, 16 years ago. I, I, I came home one day. Uh, Look, you asked a question, and you're talking to the Bella, so it's a long story. Yeah. Uh, many years ago, they were trying to build the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I got asked to go to this meeting. And I was a you know I was a '60s hippie, and Vietnam was a, still a very painful thing for me. And I lost a lot of friends, and you know, and it was a stupid war. Uh, so, but I got asked to come to this meeting about the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and I go to the meeting and, you know, they're talking about what it is that they want to do. And when the thing is over with, Gary Maddox mm. from the Phillies mm -hmm. comes up to me and says, you're John DeBella. And I said, yeah. And so he says, he says, well, he says, he says, I really want you to, I really want you to, uh, you know, take part in this thing. We really could use your help. I said, Gary, I got to tell you, I have a, I have a real hard time with this. I said, this is, this is a very, very painful thing for me. And, you know, and I, I don't know what I could do. And he looked at me and he said, because John, it's time to separate the war from the warrior. Mm. And it was literally, it was, you don't get many epiphanies in your life, but you might as well have heard the angels singing and the sky opening up and the light coming down. And at that moment, my life literally changed. Mm. So we started this thing on MMR, raising money for the Vietnam Veterans Memorial, and we raised the majority of the money for it. Uh, years go by, right? I, I, I leave MMR, I, I, I leave YSP, and uh, I'm, I'm working at MGK. And I come home one day, and I'm watching uh, uh, headline news when that was on, and this commercial comes on for the Philadelphia Veterans Multi-Service and Educational Center, the world's most cumbersome title for any. <laughs> And they're talking about, you know, how they need money and all of this stuff. And I'm going like, wow, maybe there's a way I can help. And I literally pick up the phone and call this place. 
And I said, hi. I said, look, I said, my name is John DeBella. Well, it was John DeBella. I said, yeah, um, again, I always assume that nobody knows who I am. <laughs> and I said, um, I said, is there someone I could talk to about fundraising? She goes, hold on a second. This guy gets on the phone, and this, it's this guy, Ed Lowry. And Ed says, he says, uh, John? I said, yeah. He goes, Ed Lowry. I said, hi, Ed. I said, I'm not sure if you know me. He goes, John. He says, it's Ed Lowry. I was part of the Vietnam Veterans, you know, uh, uh, memorial, you know, group. He said that that you helped us out with. I had no recollection of. I don't even remember meeting him, right? I said, "Well, hey, Ed, how's it going?" I said, so, "What are you doing?" I said, "Well, I said, I wonder if there's a way. I just saw that ad on TV. I wonder if there's a way I can help, you know, you know, help you raise some money." He says, "Oh, he says that would be great." He goes, uh, "Because you know, he says we do this thing with the Geeter every year. Uh, for those who don't know the Geeter, it's uh, uh, Jerry Blavitt, who was a, a '50s and '60s disc jockey, you know, sure, sure, yeah." You know, uh, you know, a boss jock, as as we said back then, right? Uh, the Geeter with a heater, right? I love the man to death. And uh, he says, yeah, we did this thing with, uh, with the Geeter every year. He says, we raise about $5,000. I said, no. I said, Ed, I said, I'm not playing in that range. <laughs> he said, well, you don't think you can raise that much? I said, no, I'm looking for maybe 20 times that much. He goes, what? And I said, yeah. I said, I said. Ed, I've got a massive audience. Right? Over a million people listen to my show every week. I think they may be interested in helping out the vets. He goes, okay, and we did our first radiothon, and we uh, we raised ninety nine thousand oh, dollars in twelve wow. hours. Nice. Wow. And the last guest who was supposed to be on uh, was running late. Uh, and we were bringing the show to an end. And just as we're getting ready to close the whole thing up, a limo pulls up and out comes George Lopez, who was the last guest who was supposed to be on. Right? And and we talked to him for a little bit. He said, oh, my God. He says, yes, we're just shut down. He says, but we'll stay on a little longer. He says, he goes, oh, how'd it go? I said, well, we were, he says, you know, we raised $99,000. He says, what are we shooting for? I said, I said, 100. And he goes, hang on. <laughs> And he puts his hand in his pocket, and this is, and, and I understand this because I was a poor kid too. And he pulls out a wad of cash and goes, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, nine, ten. There's a thousand bucks. Now you're home nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, and every year since then, with the exception of the, the one year that, that the economy went in the toilet, every year since then, we have raised anywhere from uh, 110, 120,000 to uh, nearly two hundred thousand wow. dollars. So we are we're 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 approaching like uh, maybe uh, probably around two five, maybe you know, getting close to three, right? Um, as the money that we raised, right? So um, we do it every year, and it's coming up. It's always the Friday before Father's Day. Okay. Because for a lot of people, that is uh, that is you know it's a great way to like you know either. If your father's no longer around, to remember him. If your father was in the service, to do something for him. Because you know, dads, dads would rather would rather hear that you donated money to a vet, right? You know, yep. than buy him a tide and he didn't want it anyway. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so uh, so the radiothon will happen on the I believe that's the 18th this year. Plus, there is uh, there is a lot of stuff to uh, uh, that we we put an auction up that runs for 10 days. And every hour during the radiothon, 
a different thing is closing down. I mean, that's, it's oh, all cool. goes up on eBay, and you'll be able to find them on WNGK.com. We have um, uh, we have some incredible stuff. Uh, we have uh, we have an autographed Charlie Daniels fiddle. Oh, wow! Wow! Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is we had two of them, right? Uh, uh, and uh, we we sold one last year. We auctioned one last year, and this year it's worth more because Charlie's no longer with us. Mm. Um, uh, we have uh, we have a Metallica fiddle also. When Metallica did that, Metallica did that orchestral right. concert. Uh-huh. Yep. Right? And and it's got the Metallica logo on it. It's really gorgeous. Uh, we have a Bob Seger guitar that's autographed by Bob Seger. We have we have a Don Felder autographed guitar, along with a. I, 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 I'm not sure if it's just an Eagles t-shirt or an Eagles Hotel California t-shirt autographed by the entire band. Wow. Right. You know, so uh, we got a lot of great stuff, a lot of really, really good stuff, a lot of guitars, uh, even some country stuff. Uh, We're hoping for a, uh, we're hoping to get something from Taylor Swift. Not that it matters to me at all, but the girl can bring in money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and, I'm, and, and I'm I, when, it, when it comes to the vets, and, and look, there there are three things that mean a lot to me in this world: dogs, veterans, and hunger. Right? Um, you don't get to be this size if you don't understand hunger. Right? But um, uh, I, there's no reason why people should go hungry in this country. There's no reason why a vet should ever be in need. There's no reason why a dog shouldn't have a home. And those are the three things that mean something to me. And, uh, you know, and when it comes to those topics, I will admit it. I am the biggest whore on the planet. I will do whatever it takes to raise money for those charities. So there there are frequently three rescue dogs in the background of this podcast with their nails clomping at Joe's floor. (laughs) What kind of what kind of dogs are they? So the the two I have right now, one is uh, he's half Chihuahua, half Italian Greyhound. So he's. He's well, the Italian greyhounds, the, the, the small ones. He's does, he's very cute. Well, uh, I'm hoping that Chihuahua in that mix was the mom. <laughs> oh, I don't want to know how the hell a Chihuahua could mount a greyhound. Well, you know, given even the way, though, even though it's not like full greyhound size, yeah, like the racing dogs, but still, let's put it this way. Right, it's it's there's, there's some height there. He's uh, yeah, he's he's all leg and he's got the Chihuahua attitude, which is hilarious. And then my other my other current dog is uh, he's half Bernie's Mountain Dog and who knows what else. He uh, oh, so so you have a Roomba? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so he's uh, he's 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 awesome. I got him. I, I I had it in my head that I needed a Bernie's Mountain Dog for whatever reason. He's not obviously full, but he showed up on Petfinder as a uh, he was at the Dallas shelter, but they listed him as 14 years and heartworm positive. I'm like that poor dog's not going to make it. Um, right. Got him, you know. So I went down and I got him. It was a sale day. I paid 20 bucks for him, which seems like a steal. He's an absolute doll. He's the sweetest thing you could ever imagine. And after we got him fed up and cleaned up and taken care of, my vet said. I don't think he's that old. Mind if we take some years off his chart? I said, please do. So now he's now he's ten years old and heartworm negative. <laughs> wow. I've got I'd, a like to, I'd like to visit old. your vet, Joe. Maybe I can take some years off my chart. I've got a sixteen year old Portuguese water dog. Oh, I love those. All right, right. And you know, and that's a dog that's only supposed to live to twelve. Right. You know, uh, but we uh, we 
bred and raised old English sheepdogs. Oh, my favorite. My wife, my wife and I were both into two completely different types of dogs. Uh, I, I started in uh, Springer Spaniels and then switched to uh, Cavalier King Charles Spaniels. Oh, wow. Uh, she was in uh, sheepdogs, but she's allergic to dogs. So the dogs need to be hair, not fur. Correct. Right. So my dogs were not making it. <laughs> right. Huh. And at one time we had five sheepdogs living in the house. That's a lot of dogs. <laughs> That's a lot of dogs, especially especially when you have dogs that have natural herding instincts. Oh yeah, so you, you get up from the sofa and you know, and five dogs are going, "Hey, where you going?" <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, and, and it got to the point, you know, and then when they get old, they can't climb stairs, and I was like, "Honey, I can't carry 75, 80 pounds of dog up a flight of stairs when I'm, you know, seventy five. Right, we have to get out of these dogs, so we switched to Portuguese, which are you know a, a real light fifty-five pounds. Right, yeah, <laughs> no problem. <laughs> Where do you post this? Eh, we're just online, like everybody else. We're on Spotify. We're, uh, Joe, do the speech. Where are we? You might as well do the outro for for, for John and, and 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 hone in your radio skills with a legend. Maybe he can coach you. <laughs> That seems like as good a, a, pot, a spot as any to uh, to finish this out. Um, you know, John, I, this was absolutely fantastic. I certainly appreciate all of your time here today. I had a blast, and, and I, you know, please I, I, have me back. Well, I, we <laughs> trust me. We 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 look forward. I think I can envision a new, um, you know, a new type of of podcast episode. Story time with John. We can <laughs> we can set up whatever we want to with that. And uh, we certainly hope that that we do have you back in the future, and wish you all the luck. And and um, look again, look forward to speaking with you in the future. So, to all of our listeners, uh, we hope you've enjoyed uh, the conversation. We've enjoyed sharing it with you as always, and we look forward to your thoughts, comments, feedback, and questions. You can reach us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. We are at Prague Paula on all of those, or search for Progressive Palaver. You're welcome to email us. Our email address is Prague Paula. That's P-R-O-G-P-A-L-A at gmail.com. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or presumably wherever you find your podcast and we are as always hosted on soundcloud so until next time thanks for listening <laughs>